I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 144 in which I do a book review. And I'm recording this on Monday, uh, oh, it's January 27th, 2014, um, and it's dinner time, so I hope you don't hear my stomach start growling. I was not really sure exactly when I was going to record today's, this week's podcast, um, but my husband just called and said he's not going to be home for dinner. He's got something going on, so... I decided to quickly take advantage and go ahead and record an episode and just hold off eating dinner for a little bit longer. That's okay. I can probably afford to wait. I want to start out by saying thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you so much to all of you who have left comments and sent me emails, and I'll be talking back to some of you at the end of the episode. Welcome to anybody who might be a new listener. And for all y'all experiencing cold, which is really pretty much almost the entire United States, I hope you're staying warm. Um, for Ozzy Pip in Australia, I hope you're staying cool. <laughs> She's been uh, tweeting the last few weeks about how hot it is there and how we're stealing all the cold air, and we would love to have some of her warm air. So maybe somewhere in the middle, everything will just kind of start evening out. In any case, thanks so much to everybody for listening. Tonight's episode, I'm going. I've got just a couple of announcements. Um, and then a Sandy update, and then I'm going to be doing a book review for you, um, and then some listener feedback. So that's pretty much what I've got on the deck. Let's get going. First of all, I need to just, you know, just to have the last word, simply say that AJ is a pot stirrer. She's what we call in our family someone who likes to stir the pot. She and I have been passing blame back and forth between the two of us about who actually got the whole disappearing pinwheel thing started. Um, she blames me because I very innocently posted a couple of videos to Twitter saying, hey, this looks interesting. And I blame her because she's the one who actually said, why don't we do a so long? So I guess you could probably say we equally share the blame. And yet she stirred the pot. But that's okay. We've all had fun. Um, I don't know that anybody's actually gotten their disappearing pinwheel completely finished. Some folks have gotten their tops pieced. Most of us are in various stages of progress um, with their blocks. Uh, I'll be talking about my progress just a little bit later. So um, it is a lot of fun, though. If, if there are those of you who did not join in the disappearing pinwheel fun, I do highly recommend it. I did post the links to the... Actually, I embedded those two videos of the two variations on the... Um, uh, that from, oh, what the, what are they called? Missouri Star Quilt Company. <laughs> you see, I think better when I've eaten. Um, in any case, uh, Missouri Star Quilt Company videos uh, have two variations on the possible blocks you can make, but it's the same process. But also, as some of us were doing it, a few people were posting links to blog entries they had found in various places on other ways you can arrange the blocks and so forth. And basically what you can do is do the process and then once you get your blocks cut, the nine units, just throw them on a design wall or on your floor, whatever you use to design and mess around with them and see what happens. Um, there's a lot of different ways you could lay out 
those units. So we're having a lot of fun with it. Um, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself here. I didn't really intend to talk about the disappearing pin pinwheel, but see what AJ does to me. She stirs the pot. Um, anyway, my next announcement is that uh, some folks who, as they've been working on their Scrapitude blocks, that's the mystery quilt, um, that Charlotte from my guild has been doing that I've been posting through my blog. Um, a lot of people have already started saying, so when's the next one? So I've had some conversation with Charlotte, and yes, indeed, she's already starting her thought processes about the next one. She's kind of targeting early 2015. She's thinking maybe starting it in January-ish, so that those who are doing the Bonnie Hunter can have it done and over with, and then be ready for some rest and relaxation through the Charlotte mystery quilt. And what we've decided between Charlotte and I to do this time is I'm actually going to work through it with her first so that I can have all of my notes, everything ready and pictures ready and everything to go for posting. I think that'll make it go much more smoothly. It wasn't too bad this time, but there were some times that I had problems really explaining in detail enough for beginners what to do when I hadn't actually really gotten to doing it myself. So this time I'm going to be working with it through uh, through it with her in advance. I am going to still be doing it as a mystery quilt. That's one conversation we had rather than me seeing the end result and then trying to figure out all the steps. I'm going to still be doing it as a mystery quilt myself. Um, but then I will have it done sometime before we launch it for everybody else so that I can have everything ready to go. Uh, so keep your fingers crossed that she and I can actually work out the timing for doing that. I let her know, here's when I normally travel for work, so let's try to avoid those times. Um, otherwise, hopefully, you know, that, that I would be able to get it all done in a timely enough fashion that this will all work out. But she's really excited. Um, she loves the fact that so many people are doing this. That that just really took her by surprise. And she's very flattered. And it's been a lot of fun to watch her reaction to that. So I'm really looking forward to working with her on this again. Um, it is fun for me. I've had a couple of people comment on how much they appreciate uh, the step-by-steps that I give. Um, that's actually something I do a fair amount, not in the quilting world, but I do a lot of uh, instructional writing. Some I write curriculum um, kind of for a living. <laughs> I do a lot of curriculum writing. So that's something I kind of already have a bent towards doing. I also do a fair amount of internet type instructions by accident when we have people in our organization that don't know how to do something. I'll shoot them a quick email that says, click here, look for that, click there. So it's something I've got a lot of practice doing but not in the quilty world. And there are some distinct differences for doing it in the quilty world. So it's been kind of an interesting adventure for me as well to think through, okay, what questions are people going to be asking and how do I predict what those questions are going to be? Um, so looking forward to doing that again next time. And like I said, for me, having it done in advance, so I've got everything ready to go and shouldn't have to do quite so many catch-up blog posts later saying, oh, okay, Charlotte says we really need to do this, and since somebody asked this question, here's what else we need to do, that kind of thing. Um, so put that on your docket for early 2015. This is also the last week if you're listening to this podcast as it gets posted, for to enter into the 2014 Quilty Resolutions Giveaway Challenge. The deadline is this Friday, the 31st. Um, and since I believe... Well, I don't think I'm running that one through Rifflecopter. I don't remember how I set it up now. It's been going for so long. Um, but I'm not sure if I'll be able to do the drawing right away because the deadline's Friday the 31st, and then Saturday the 1st I get on a plane <laughs> and go on vacation for a week. So 
Um, honestly, I don't know that I'm going to be able to do the drawing right away, but I will be looking at the timestamp on your entry. So um, I am still holding to that deadline of Friday the 31st, regardless of whether I'm there to see it happen. Uh, like I said, yes, next week I will be on vacation. Uh, we leave Saturday and we come back the following Friday sometime. I don't exactly know exactly what my travel schedule is because my husband made the flight arrangements. Um, we are going to Savannah, Georgia on vacation. I told him <laughs> now that we're not locked into kids' school vacation schedules, I said I would love to every year somewhere in February, late January through February, anytime in there, go somewhere where there's sun. It does not have to be warm. I don't care about heat. I just need sun. Um, case in point, the last, technically the last family vacation, I think, we took with my daughter when she was a senior in high school. Um, we It was February break and we brought her cousin with her because her brother was in college at the time, didn't have the same break. And we went to Quebec in February. Yes, we went even further north <laughs> in February. And it was bitter, bitter cold while we were there. But it was gorgeously sunny. I mean, it was clear and brilliant sun every day. And so I could handle the bitter cold. Not to say I wasn't thrilled every time we got inside, but we were doing things like going tubing. We went dog sledding. We were outside pretty much all day, every day. And it, it, I mean, it was like frostbite weather, but it was beautifully sunny. So it really, you know, it still kind of did the same thing for me. So, um, it is hard to go to the really actually warm places in February is super packed. Everybody's trying to do that. So we found kind of a nice midway point, Savannah. It's going to be, um, as we've looked at the weather forecast, it's going to be anywhere between the 40s and the 70s, depending on which day you're talking about, and kind of rainy a little bit, but also sunny. So, you know, I'll take it. I'm going to get more sun there than I will here. <laughs> And right now, 45 degrees sounds positively balmy, so we're going to handle that. Um, it's going to be a very low-key vacation. My husband's in the midst of a super travel schedule. Um, so we're going to go and just, I don't want to say we're going to do as little as possible, but we're not going to run around and try to see everything and do everything. Um, I don't know if I'll get to a quilt shop. If you want to give me a suggestion of if there's only one quilt shop I can visit in Savannah, this is the one I should go to see. Um, I may try to fit it in. It kind of depends on whether it fits in. You know, we, we've gotten to the point now, we have some vacations where they are, let's see how much we can see because we may never get here again. But we also have other ones where it's like, you know what, if we want to sit in our room and read for an afternoon, that's what we're going to do. So it's going to be a very low-key casual week. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, and we've heard wonderful things about Savannah. We're both looking forward to going there. Um Oh, okay. So that's enough for announcements. I have something I decided to do in 2014 that I thought might be kind of fun, keeping in theme with my intro to this podcast about learning from my mistakes. Every month in 2014, I'm going to feature a mistake to learn from. And this is where I'm going to talk about a mistake I've made probably multiple times and what I've learned from it. <laughs> And hopefully you can also learn the same. So January's mistake to learn from is not trusting yourself. I have um, twice, really. I think I've only done this twice. One was very early. It was like one of the very, if not the first quilt. No, it wasn't the first quilt. It was the first quilt class I ever took. 
as a new quilter. I had made a couple of wall hangings with my mom helping me and guiding me in terms of fabric choices and how to do things, but mom was great in that way. She might give me suggestions, but she'd also keep saying, just trust your gut. If it looks good to you, it looks good. And so there was never any sense that she was trying to choose or saying, oh, that won't work or whatever. She was just very open and she might say, well, you might want to consider if this might look better, but hey, you know, what you've got there works well, whatever. She was a great teacher that way. But I took my first quilt class, and it was a um, the Bethany Reynolds Stack and Whack. It I th it was supposed to be a beginner class. It was not actually a beginner class. It was one of um, her more. I I don't know if it was completely intermediate. It was kind of intermediate. It was a lot of diamonds and a lot of bias edges that you were dealing with. So it was not really a beginner class. Anyway, as we were choosing the um, the fabrics. I had most of my fabrics chosen except one. I was kind of stumped on one, you know, what one fabric I was going to put with all the rest. And I let the teacher talk me into a fabric that even as she was showing it to me, I didn't really entirely buy into it, but I could kind of understand what she was saying. But I also was like, well, she knows more than I do. So probably once I get this all done, I'll agree with her and I'll say, yeah, that was the best fabric ever. Thank you so much for letting me do it. So I made several blocks using that fabric. And then um, I don't think in the class, I don't think we got all the way through piecing the top. I don't, it took me seven years to finish that quilt. So <laughs> I don't remember exactly what I got done at the beginning versus what I went back and finished seven years later. Um, but I do remember I ended up going back and ripping out that fabric from all of the blocks it was in. Um, I think it was not in the main kaleidoscope blocks. If you know the stack and whack um, technique, you stack a bunch of uh, pieces together with the exact same repeat, and then you cut them in a certain way that they turn into a kaleidoscope. That's a very, very basic nutshell description of this process. Um, but in any case, I don't think it was in the kaleidoscope blocks. I think it was one of the other um, units that kind of held all these kaleidoscope blocks together. So it's not like I was pulling apart kaleidoscopes to get that fabric out, because if I had to do that, I probably would not have bothered. But I ended up ripping out that fabric, because even getting it together, I just never liked the fabric. And by the time I finally decide I just really don't like this fabric, I had done enough other quilts and gotten enough other experience that I was much better at just trusting myself. Um, the second example of this was actually just last year, two years ago, it was when I was finishing one of my mom's, it was the last of my mom's UFOs, the quilt that I ended up calling Summers by the Lake with Shirley. Um, it was a quilt she had designed on EQ and she had it partially pieced and I had to figure out, because it was foundation piecing, I had to create the rest of the foundations and finish piecing it together. Um, and she had all the fabric she was going to use for the quilt with the possible exception of borders. But she had a bunch of fabrics in that bag. It could be that she had intended something for a border, and when I looked at them, I just decided I didn't like those fabrics. But I don't think she had chosen what the border was going to be yet, because none of those fabrics screamed to me, Mom would have used this for a border. And I kind of knew enough about Mom's quilting style to kind of guess that. So I went to a quilt shop, and I had the center with me, and I laid it out. They let me, they didn't have a class going on, so I took it back into the back room and laid it out. And of course, everybody walks by and looks at the you know, as happens in quilt shops. And one of the um, clerks working in the store, there weren't too many customers. So she came over to kind of, you know, find out what I was doing. And I saw I'm looking for a border fabric. And I had a couple of bolts there that I, I was kind of laying out and auditioning. 
and she said, oh, I think I know a perfect fabric. She went and grabbed one off and brought it over, and it was nice, but it didn't grab me. And neither had any of the others that I had laid out. So I laid it out and I, you know, I was talking to her about it and she was like really into this fabric. And, you know, I'm thinking it could work, but I'm not sure it's really grabbing me. So I said, okay, well, let me think about it. Now, at this point, I now have enough confidence in myself to say, let me think about it and then take the time to go and look for other fabrics. And I found something else that I absolutely loved. Now, where I felt where I did my part to say, okay, well, I still felt kind of bad because she had been so into this border fabric and the fact that I had found this other one felt like I was kind of casting judgment saying, no, your wasn't, wasn't good enough, you know, and she had that kind of personality that I did feel like she might take it a little bit personally, you know, not be just kind of like, oh, you know, teach their own. What I ended up doing was using her choice as a backing and, you know, could I have just said, no, I didn't really like yours, you know, as much. But it was fine as a backing. I could certainly live with it as a backing. It worked as a backing. So that was my way of still kind of, you know, saying to her, well, thank you for your help. And yes, it was useful. And I'm going to go ahead and use that fabric, but I'm not using it for the border. So this is all a lesson that I have learned. And it took me many years and a lot of confidence. Don't let anybody talk you into a fabric that you can't see yourself. Now, what you might want to do, and maybe quilt shops would let you do this, and say, is say, could I take just a little sample of it? Or see if you can find it in a fat quarter. A lot of times you'll find the fabrics from the bolts are fat quarters. And take it home and live with it for a while, because it might be. You know, you might not see it immediately, but once you see it laid out with the other fabrics, then you might be able to, to say, yeah, okay, I can see where this will work, and it might be good. We can all learn from other people's opinions. But don't put something in a quilt that you don't think you're ultimately going to like because you think somebody else knows more than you. <laughs> that's It's a waste of time and it's a waste of money. Just because somebody else says that's the perfect fabric, don't necessarily buy into it. So that's my January mistake to learn from that I have made where I let somebody talk me into something that I wasn't sure and I didn't trust my own instincts. Trust yourself. Trust your instincts. Educate yourself to build your instincts so that your instincts can become more well-founded and um, broadened, but don't do something just because you think somebody else might know better than you. So that's your January thing to learn from. All right, Sandy update. Well, I think I already talked about MLKSI in my last episode since I posted it during MLKSI, the cutting table. Um, that I worked on last week is still in the same position that I left <laughs> at the when I posted last episode. It still is waiting to be finished. And my disappearing pinwheel, I'm still putting my blocks together. Um, I did bake a few more loaves of bread for the Craftsy class that I was finishing, which has now since been marked completed, and I posted on my blog. Um, when I got to the end of MLKSI, when I got to Monday night and I was sitting down watching TV, relaxing with my husband, I said... He goes, you know, so how'd your weekend go? Do you, did you enjoy your week, your long weekend? I said, you know what? I feel like I got a whole lot done, but I didn't get anything finished. <laughs> so it was hard to kind of point at something and say, yeah, that's done. And I can feel completed about it. It was like, I got a lot of stuff partly done, mostly done, nothing finished. And then of course, I woke up Tuesday morning sick, and I spent the rest of the week sick. I actually had to take a couple of days off from work. I had that weird flu that's been going around where you're just completely dragged out, fatigued, 
bone numbing where, you know, just walking from the couch to the kitchen, you feel like you ran a marathon. I didn't have a whole lot of other symptoms. I had some congestion. I had some kind of random, I had symptoms kind of rolling in and out. I'd have a headache for an hour. It would go away. I'd have a fever for a low fever for an hour. It would go away. I'd have, you know, some chest congestion for an hour. It would go away. It was the weirdest flu I've ever had, cold flu, whatever it was. Um, I did get a flu shot this year. I got the better, more high potency flu shot just because they were out of the lower ones. Um, but you know what? Flu shots are not silver bullets. They protect you from the flus that they protect you from, but there are a lot of other flus out there. Uh, so, you know, in the grand scheme of flus, if this is the one I'm going to get this year, it was not bad. Um, I just, I like I said, spent a lot of time on the couch. What I was able to get done was watch some more crafty craftsy class lessons and great courses lectures because all I was doing was lying on the couch with my iPad and I was able to watch them on the iPad. Um, so that was nice. I, so I was able to feel like I was at least accomplishing something. And I did do um, a little bit more spinning, drop spindle spinning um, as per something I was talking about last spring. So if you're curious about that whole thing, you can go back and dig through my blog. Um, I've been looking into potentially spinning, potentially um, hand dyeing some yarn, that kind of thing, but no knitting. Just saying. Anyway, um, I did start feeling a little bit better Thursday afternoon, and I had just gotten the last organizational furniture I was buying for my new completely mine sewing room home office. Um, I have had a struggle for a while about what to do with rolls of things, rolls of Pelon interfacing, rolls of Pelon fusible, my big roll of Luchador, the bolt of Pelon fusible I've had, um, stuff that doesn't fit neatly in a drawer where the rest of my little packages of fusible are. And they've been kind of half sticking out of uh, shelves and falling off every time I move something. They've been driving me nuts. And so after doing some research on this and seeing everybody's inexpensive solutions all had to do with Ikea, and I don't have an Ikea anywhere near me, I ended up ordering the Alpha over-the-door gift wrap organizer. And I had seen this on Pinterest um, and immediately thought this would be perfect. And I looked around for cheaper solutions because this isn't particularly cheap, but I decided, you know what, this is really going to answer my needs. It's going to be an easy thing to put up. It'll be an easy thing for me to move into another room if this room ever needs to be repurposed. So I ended up buying it. I received it on Thursday. And so I decided, you know, this doesn't take that much to put up. I'm going to go ahead and put it up. I got it up. I got a little bit of stuff put in and then I immediately regretted the energy expenditure in the middle of having this flu and I ended up on the couch the rest of the evening, but I did get it up. Um, it has a shelf on the bottom where I'm able to put all the rolls and stuff and I've got some folded things in there. All of my, like I said, larger stuff of fusible interfacing and um, just stiffeners and luchador and that kind of thing. And then I guess it's actually a media rack. This the same rack setup is used for media storage, and it's also used like in pantries, so it's kind of a multi-purpose thing. But the media storage rack has sort of open slots in the bottom, so what you're able to do is put the roll, this is why they use it as a gift wrap organizer, you put the bottom of the roll on the bottom shelf, and then you stick it up through where those open slots are and it holds it upright and it holds it so it's not flying all over the place every time you open or close the door. And then it comes with two more shelves. So I've got like all my spray bastes and, and spray starches and stuff are on one of the shelves and my couple of large cone spools that I bought when I was using the long arm machine are up there. 
a um, box of baggies are up there. I still have one empty shelf because I haven't finished reorganizing my shelves yet. But I really, really love it. It was so stinking easy to install. Um, no, no drilling or screwing or bolting anything. It's just kind of a pressure latch that you tighten in and holds it onto over the top and on the bottom of the door. Um, I, I just, I love this thing. It really did answer what I needed. So if you're looking for something, and I'll try to remember to post a picture of it. If not in the show notes, I'll do it in the blog sometime this week. Um, and I've got one set of shelves now kind of or resorted and organized, but not that wasn't the shelf that was really bad. <laughs> the shelves that are really bad are going to take a little bit longer. And after my experience Thursday night, I realized I needed to give myself a few more days before I did anything that was really going to involve a lot of walking around. Um, by Sunday night, I was pretty much back to 100%. Now I'm just not sleeping well, but that's a whole other issue. Uh, so that was nice. And again, if you're looking for something like this, you might want to look into the Alpha Over the Door Gift Wrap Organizer. It's it's really been a huge help to my space. Um, really, that's kind of the last organizational thing I really want to get at, because most of my house, I'm actually a fairly organized person, and especially now that the kids are grown and out of the house, I don't look in my daughter's room. <laughs> That's her thing. But the rest of the house, you know, like I said, over uh, Christmas break, I redid the pantry and I redid the mudroom. Those were the other two big rooms. I very randomly did one drawer in our kitchen. That's sort of the, you know, the junk drawer, the collecting drawer. I cleaned that out. Um, but my closet's never been in too bad a shape. So that's in good shape. Uh, so this this set of shelves is really the last thing in the house that really needs some serious attention. And even at, you know, it's usable. It's my home office and that's half of the shelves are devoted to home office type stuff and the other half is to quilting. They're usable. That's why I haven't cleaned them out yet, but they really need help. So that's going to be my last thing to get done sometime in the next two to three weeks. Um, so, and I, I don't think I need any bins. I don't think I need anything else. It's just a matter of kind of moving things around and repurposing what I've already got. Um, but it's nice. I love having all the shelves on the cutting table now. That's been a huge help. I've been slowly kind of populating those shelves with stuff from the other shelves. It's been nice. Um, craftsy classes. I have done really, really well this year now, or this month. I've, um, later this week, I just finished doing it tonight actually, but it's going to post later this week will be my January craftsy class update. So you're going to see what I've, all of what I've finished this month and what I'm working on currently. Um, I do want to say, I there's times when I feel like people might think I'm being a bit of a shill for Craftsy <laughs> because I, I am now an affiliate, which was a recent decision to do. Um, and that means if you use one of the Craftsy links on my blog, yeah, it helps support. You know, there's a certain amount of commission I get, not a huge amount, but a little bit. Um, and that helps support my podcast and blog. And I need you to know, dear listeners, I need you to know I would not be doing that if I didn't really believe in Craftsy. There's a lot of things I could be signing up for that, you know, to get kickbacks for. As a blogger podcaster, you tend to get emails like that with some regularity. Um, but I don't do them unless it's something I really, really believe in. And I love Craftsy. And you also know I'm honest about Craftsy. I have periodically talked about classes that didn't do it for me. <laughs> the way other ones did. Um, and know that I'm going to keep doing that. I'm not going to tell you I love a class if I didn't actually love the class. Uh, it's just Craftsy haps, happens to hit my sweet spot. And more often than not, I really do love the classes. So I hope you don't mind that. I hope you'll be patient with that. Um, 
and just know that my reviews are honestly my reviews regardless. Uh, so anyway, yes, you will see um, later this week. Well, first of all, tonight I just posted my most recent class completion review, and that was on the class Mastering the Braze. So check that out. Um, another, yeah, another cooking class. And then later this week will be my full-out January report. Um, I'm probably not going to finish... Well, I'm, I'm probably not too far off on spindling. At that one, I've just got to decide what's going to constitute finished. It's another one of these classes that's a technique class that I could either do forever and never call it finished or just say, yeah, yeah, I'm done now and move on. Um, I just need to decide at what point, what am I, what parameters am I setting up for myself on that class to decide when I'm going to call it finished. Um, stupendous stitching, I have a little bit more to do on, but I've got some other stuff i got to get done sooner. So I haven't, I don't know exactly, and then being gone all next week. So that one I might not actually get finished until um, February. And at the moment, I'm not starting any new craftsy classes until I get those done, only from a time element. I don't really have time to add a new class in there now. Um, I might, while I'm at, in Savannah next week, I do have one or two of the, um, I think they're freebie classes, that I may be able to simply watch and decide whether or not those are done. So that, that would be the only way um, I will have anything. So you're, you've been getting kind of a lot of Craftsy class reviews hot and heavy for this month because most of those classes I had already made some progress in or I had done enough in the past that it didn't take me that long to kind of focus on it and get it done now. Um, but I'm getting to the point now where classes are going to take me a little bit more time to finish. So that's you're not going to be seeing that quite as often. I do hope you've been enjoying those yet. Um, one quick update on the artisan bread making class. Yes, I did make the chocolate babka on Sunday. Well, Saturday night to Sunday. And yes, it turned out quite tasty. That isn't a bread, however, that... Um, oh, what shall I say? Improves with age. <laughs> it was really, really good the first morning. When my daughter and I had it for breakfast Sunday morning, it, it you know, just out of the oven, you let it cool for a significant amount of time so it can kind of set up. And when we had it there, it was wonderful. Monday morning, I had a little bit um, with my co morning coffee. It was pretty good then. Um, I'm sorry, my days are off. By today, it's two days old. Whatever today. Today's Monday, so it must have been, I must have made it. No, I made it Sunday morning. And that was last night. Okay, so Sunday night I had a little bit. It was still pretty good. By this morning it was starting to get dry. I had a little piece tonight, and I decided I'm just going to toss the rest of the loaf, partly because I can't finish a whole loaf of bread myself. <laughs> um, it did make two loaves. The recipe makes two loaves, if you make it just with the amounts he gives in, in the written recipe. And so I immediately sent a loaf over with my, um, my daughter was stopping it her grandparents' house, my husband's parents' house, on her way back to school on Sunday, so she took a loaf with them over there. Um, I've not yet heard from them how they felt about it. So uh, it was a very good recipe, but it is kind of one that you want to make and, you know, make it for a group of people that are going to eat it more or less immediately because it doesn't keep as well, um, or it doesn't improve with age. It, it probably would freeze great. So next time I make it, I'm planning on making it for uh, when I have to bring refreshments to Guild. So I will make two loaves. I'll bring one loaf, you know, that day and then throw the other one in the freezer and bring that one the next month. <laughs> so so that's my plan. Um, 
So that officially, officially finishes me on the artisan bread making class. That was the last recipe I really wanted to make. So now I know the techniques and I'll be able to make bread anytime I want to in the future. It was, because I was sick, a really good week for reading. And the only thing I really want to mention is I went on a Frances Dowell book marathon. I read several of her books. Now, I've been reading Frances Dowell of Off-Kilter Quilt podcast. If you don't already listen to that one, make sure you do. It's I really enjoy it. As I told Frances when she first started podcasting, I could seriously listen to her read the phone book and enjoy myself. <laughs> She's just got a great style. Um, and she is a very, uh, she is an award-winning young adult novelist um, and does a lot of book tours and stuff. I, I enjoy, I mean, not book tours, uh, book school things. Book tour implies she's, you know, city to city and doing, and she does those periodically. Uh, mostly what I enjoy hearing her talk about is when she goes into the schools and works with the kids. That's always a lot of fun to hear those stories. Uh, but anyway, she's got several books out. Over the last couple of years, since I've gotten to know her, I've read her new books as they become available. But what I did in the last few weeks, I've gone back in time and I've been reading all of her older books. And I just want to say my favorite book of hers that I have read is the book entitled Where I'd Like to Be. It's just got just fantastic characters. And there's something about the story that really touched me in a way. I mean, I, I enjoy all of her stories, but this one was, I couldn't, it was like the characters were in my head even when I stopped reading in a way that they hadn't been with other books. It just, it really, I, I just loved that book. Um, and the thing I like best about her books is that she doesn't wrap her endings up in neat little bows. She kind of, she points a finger in the direction that you, you kind of, well, you know, you, you what do I want to say? It's not, it's not Hollywood happy endings. She's pointing the finger in the direction where you think the story's probably going to go, but she doesn't necessarily always take it there. Um, she doesn't grab your hand and hit you over the head with, hey, here's the happy little ending story and everybody's you know problems are all solved. She doesn't do it. She doesn't do that work for you. <laughs> I just love that. Um, so I, I really recommend, even if you're not a young adult yourself, which I'm not, um, read some of her books. They are, they are great, great books. And if you've got young adults in your house, um, certainly put these on their book lists. Again, my favorite of her books is Where I'd Like to Be. So thank you, Francis, for entertaining me for several weeks. Um, and now you just got to get the next book out. So I have something to read again. No pressure. You and Louise Penny, both of you are making me wait. <laughs> Um, anyway, as I mentioned, I am watching a great courses lecture series on the science of color. I was thrilled when I found out that, yes, indeed, Great Courses now finally has their courses available as video and audio streaming through an app on your iPad. I've been waiting for this for a while. Uh, so I'm watching a lecture series. I don't remember the actual name of it, but it's on the science of color. And it is pretty interesting. I've, I'm only through the first couple of um, lectures. So I'm going to talk, I'm going to wait and talk more about that in a future episode, but it is pretty cool. Okay. Content. Here is my review of the book Colorific by Pam hmm, Gecki, G-O-E-C-K-E. -E, I think it's Gecki. Dindorf, D-I-N-N-D-O-R-F. And this is um, from CNT Publishing, fairly new book. And again, the title is Colorific. It's a book on color theory. Um, it, it's 
it's for beginners. Let me, I'll just put that out there. Um, I, I don't think it was intended to be color theory for beginners, but I enjoyed the book, but I didn't really learn anything from it. But that's only because I've been doing a lot of work on color theory for the last couple of years. I've read a ton of books on it. I've been studying it with my design study group. Um, so it would, at this stage, it would have to be a pretty, um, unique book for me to, for it to have, the book would have to work really hard for me to have something I haven't read somewhere else. Okay. Um, so that's not really a knock on colorific. It just means I'm probably not the intended audience at this point. If you haven't done a lot of work on color, this would be a great book for you to start with. Um, first of all, let me just say the photography was beautiful. was a really, really pretty book to look at. Um, her backdrop for her photos of her quilts is the North Shore of Lake Superior in Minnesota. It just had this wonderful artistic, rustic kind of look to it, outdoorsy, but modern. Her quilts are all, all kind of modern colors, although kind of a mix of traditional and modern designs. But um, it just, the photography was just gorgeous. And that was clearly, she writes about that in her introduction, as she put this book together, she was already thinking the photography and how that was going to happen. So visually, it's a, it's a beautiful book. It's laid out really nicely. Um, again, it's it's a very pretty book to look at. It makes you feel good to have it in your hands. <laughs> you know, I really enjoyed it. Although I can't say I had it in my hands because I have the digital version of it. Um, I had it in my hands on my iPad. It does include a color wheel, and the color wheel has shades and tones on it, so it's a nice color wheel in there. It does have a few definitions of some of the basic terminology, such as huge shades and tones, that kind of thing. Um, she does have guidelines for fabric selection, value, hue, print or pattern, temperature, intensity. She has tips for value, evaluating fabrics. Um, all very helpful stuff. Again, stuff I've seen before in other places because I've been doing a lot of work on this. But if you haven't done a lot of work on this, that you will have what you need, at least to get started in this book. It's not an in-depth, it's not a color theory class, um, but it gives you a feel and might help you think about color in some different ways and be willing to take a few more risks. One of the things she did have in there that is not something I've seen in a bunch of other places, she has something she calls color scheme validators. And she call, what this is, are prints that pull together two or more of the disparate colors in other fabrics in the quilt. And so this is a little bit different from blenders. I've, you know, in my whole quilt uh, quilt making career, I've always heard of blenders. And blenders kind of depends on who's talking about it. For the most part, when people talk about blenders, they are often referring to tone-on-tone fabrics or solids or fabrics that sort of give the eye a place to rest in the midst of all these other prints going on or print, you know, color schemes going on. Um, they sort of help blend the whole quilt together. Sometimes people refer to blenders as quilts that are uh, fabrics that do have multiple colors in them, but they still tend to be a little bit on the muted side because the idea is still that they're kind of the toned down place between all these other prints. What she uses, what she refers to as validators, they can be really pretty vibrant prints, but what that print has in it is other colors that are going on in other prints in the quilt and bringing them together. Um, like I said, that was something I haven't, I've, I've heard it touched on in other places, but she really spent some time on it and she had some great images that explained it, um, some pictures of actual fabric, that kind of thing. 
and I did, I liked that part of it. I thought, okay, that's, you know, that's the new thing I can latch onto in this book and say, all right, great, that, that helped me think of something in a different way. Um, she has, in the second section then of the book, it's color exhibition is what she calls it, and she goes through a variety of color schemes and gives pictorial examples. So there's, there's where you're going to get your monochromatic, your analogous, your neutrals, etc. And she has pictures of quilts that exemplify those things. Um, she has a helpful couple of pages on FAQs, which again was kind of a nice touch. Um, it covers random things such as how do I decide how much of a fabric to buy for my stash, why does my quilt look too busy, um, things like that. It's just a very short paragraph on each, but it does cover some helpful things that maybe other books wouldn't normally really talk about. Um, and then the whole second half of the book are six patterns for quilts where I was a little bit disappointed in this section. She gives a little background as to why she chose a particular color scheme. It's a little bit more of kind of the backstory to that pattern, but she doesn't offer much guidance about if you like the pattern, but you want to play with a different color scheme. She sort of, it's like she either assumed you were just going to create that quilt with that color scheme as is, or that you'd already learned enough from the beginning of the quilt that you can just naturally figure out how to do it in a different color scheme. It, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more guidance to say, okay, where I use this color there, you might want to just consider that should be a lighter value or a middle value. Again, if you're looking for, if you're a beginner, I'm not sure it would be readily self-apparent how to do that pattern in a different color scheme and have it end up being just as vibrant and successful as hers are. Um, so that was a little bit of a disappointment. The six patterns themselves are nice. Um, I don't know if they were anything I would particularly make to my taste, but they are certainly along the lines of what I've seen a lot of people doing now. So they'd probably be something a lot of people would like. Um, and of course it has the general quilt making basics at the end. It does have, again, it has a beautiful layout, but the, the layout itself actually kind of made for light content. <laughs> Because most pages, it, there was a fair amount of white space. Most pages had a short paragraph or two, and then a huge picture of a quilt or two quilts taking up most of the page, which is really helpful in terms of seeing examples. And you, you know, you learn about color visually. Obviously, you can't just read about it and really know it. You have to kind of see the pictures of the example. Um, and in some cases, there were full color, full page color plates of examples that were helpful, particularly, like I said earlier, in the validators. Um, that was helpful for me to kind of see these full page pictures of some examples of that. But the downside then is you're not getting a lot of content. You're getting a picture book. And again, that's helpful. Um, if you are a beginner in terms of color theory, then this will be, I think, a good book for you. I think it would be a good way to introduce you to some of these concepts, help you see how they work, and start kind of dabbling your toes in that way. If you've done a lot of work in this area, though, I don't really feel like there's no there's new ground covered here. I will say, however, that there is always a benefit to having a book on color that's using current color combinations, current colors that are popular today, um, modern fabrics, that kind of thing. Because I, you know, for as much as I have color, I've got books I inherited from my mother. So some of them well, I didn't keep any of the really old ones. <laughs> I do have some that date back to like the early 90s and stuff. And you can tell the minute you look at the quilt on the cover, you can say, oh yeah, this was done in the, you know, between 90 and 95. Because <laughs> there are color trends that happen in certain given times. And now if I'm learning on color, like the book, um, 
oh, Color Magic? Was that the book? I did I did a whole year worth of blog series on color combinations based on a book, and I think it was Color Magic for Quilters. And the only issue I ran into with using that book is it's an older book. And so a lot of the color combinations, she would talk about the color scheme. And then the picture she would show, I would just be like, oh, yuck, I can't even stand to look at it. Because <laughs> it's just so outdated. And it reminds me of my childhood and polyester and all that, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. You know, and, and yes, we know we should be able to get back that, buy all of that and be able to translate in our head. But it is helpful to see something in actually colors that feel contemporary and modern to us now. Um, and she's got a definite bent towards K-Facet fabrics. That's a lot of the, the, the whole book feels K-Facet. I'm not familiar enough. I don't have his whole collection, his set of collections memorized to know if that's all of the fabrics in the book were all K-Facet. I don't think so, but it was definitely that sort of color feel to it. And in fact, he wrote a forward or something to the book talking about how much he loves her color schemes and they may have worked together. I'm not clear on that either. Um, but in any case, if you're a K facet fan, you'll love this book too. So I would say, um, even though for me, I didn't get a whole lot of new out of this book, I would still say there's a lot of benefit to this book. If you are just, if you're a beginner and you're just starting to dabble your toes in color theory, if you're somebody who's been quilting for a while, but you feel like you want to push yourself in terms of color combinations, this would be a good thing. Um, if you're a fan of K-Facet, you would probably love this. And then, like I said, the second half of the book, it's six patterns. And they're all quilts. They're not like, you know, tote bags and stuff like that. They're all actual quilts. And they I didn't look at the measurements, but they all seem to be at least throw size, if not bigger. They were sizable quilts. Um, so that would be good as well. So that's that's my review of the book, and I will put a link to it on um, the show notes this episode. Again, I can't, you know, res recommend it with no reservations because for me, didn't really do much, but I did enjoy looking at it. It was a pretty, pretty book. <laughs> so, um, you know, check it out. Look at it yourself. Look at the um, reviews, other people's reviews, and see what you think. If any of you out there already own this book, Colorific, and want to offer your own um, opinions in the comments to the show notes, please do so. Listener feedback. Uh, okay, this episode has gone on a little bit longer than I intended, so I may not be able to do quite so much direct listener feedback, but let's see how we can go here. Um, I'd like to say thank you to Michelle, who sent me an email. And she is a new listener. She's listened to three whole episodes so far. Michelle, you got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> but she um, she said, thank you. And I appreciate, Michelle, that you've been in touch with me. Um, she said she would also like to have other quilters input for lighting. She says, right now I'm in the extra bedroom of our home. I have two lights on the machine itself, an LED light above it with three bulbs, and an Ot light true color at my right elbow. My husband has started a new quilting studio space for me. Lights will need to be purchased soon. So I'm going to leave it open. I do have another comment that I'll be getting to in a minute somewhere in my list here um, of somebody who did give some opinions about lighting, but I'm still kind of holding off for a little bit to hear what other people have to say. And then again, I will talk about what I've done here. So thank you for your email, Michelle. And again, more people we need input on lighting. Thank you to Lauren, who sent a couple of um, comments about her cutting table on, 
in reference to episode 143 in which I build a cutting table for MLKSI. Uh, and she says she has the original cutting table, not from Joanne's, but a similar style purchased elsewhere. And she said it wasn't standing up well to the cutting. Um, plus she says it was a bit too high for my comfort. I'm only five foot two on a good day wearing shoes. Um, and she turned it into her old one into an ironing table. She found an ironing cover that fit it perfectly. Um, and now she's got an extra large surface for pressing fabrics and quilt tops. And you know what? I never even thought of that, Lauren. So I'm thinking I might take some measurements now that I've got more space and see whether maybe that's something I could do. Um, We'll see. She said she hasn't looked at the top of the table to see what nearly 10 years of steam and heat have done to it, but she doesn't really care because she doesn't ever intend to use the table for anything but ironing. So thank you for that idea, Lauren. That was a great idea. And then her second comment, she says she uploaded two photos to the Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group, and I have seen them in there. So go look, um, everybody, to see what she's done. And she made a cutting table from modular storage units and a holler, hollow core interior door. And she had storage units that she had from a previous house, and she just repurposed them for this um, cutting table. She says she has not bolted hers together, filled with all the goodies they hold. They're plenty heavy, and they do not move around. And then she said, and thank you for this, Lauren, because I woke up this morning with a, a, a an idea based on this in my head. She said um, to keep the door, the t what she used as the top, from moving, I put a large piece of that grippy shelf liner between it and the top of the cabinets. It's worked fine for almost 10 years. Lauren, God bless you, because <laughs> one of the things that stopped me from finishing, putting the finishing touches on my cutting table is the fact that everybody else who's made this has bolted or screwed down the top to the bookshelves. And I don't know about y'all, but not being a handy person myself, I have built shelves beyond shelves, beyond shelves, but they've always had pilot holes in them. And so I'm just screwing in where the instructions tell me to screw in. I And I've got a power drill and I'm not afraid to use it. Where I am afraid to use it is where I have to figure out where something's supposed to go, drill the pilot hole, get it in there without splitting open any of the press board sides, tops, whatever. I don't have good luck with that. I've had problems in the past where I have missed, you know, I've tried to, to screw something in and ends up coming shooting out the front or whatever. And after reading yours, I, I went to bed <laughs> and you know, our brains always work on things while we're sleeping. I woke up this morning and I thought, well, dang it, I am the 3M adhesive strip queen. I'm going to put the top of this table, uh, my cutting table onto the bookshelves with 3M adhesive strips. <laughs> I, I, uh, Lauren, you saved me. I don't have to bolt a darn thing in. And because it is sturdy, actually I've been using it for a week and nothing has moved. Even the top of my um, cutting table is so dang heavy. It only slid once when I leaned against it to reach and grab something on the far edge. And even at that, it went, you know, it just slid a little bit. It wasn't like it went flying off the bat. It is so stinking heavy. So all I have to do is put a couple of adhesive strips in kind of strategic locations just to hold it steady. That's all that needs to happen. And I don't even, I might even put adhesive strips between these bookshelves to hold them together so that I don't have to, to bolt any of that together either. Uh, man, that would be the answer to my problems. So all I have to do now, and again, because I'm going to be gone this weekend, so this probably won't happen for a couple of weeks, I still have to iron on the finishing strip around the outside edge 
because right now it's just the open plywood or press board or whatever that is, um, melamine. So I still have to do that. But once I have that done, then I'm just going to 3M the heck out of this thing <laughs> and call it a day and move on. Uh, thank you, Lauren. You really just, oh, you just took so much stress off of me. I really appreciate that. Um, Erin also left a comment on that same episode and she talked about, um, she also has one of those cutting tables from Joanne. She says, I don't know what I did to it, but it doesn't stand up straight. It leans to one side, which drives me crazy. Um, however, she usually only has one side up and then she drops it down again. She's going to have her husband look at it to see if he can figure out something to fix it as he, she's, as, um, she's only had it a little over a year. So Aaron, keep listening because somebody else gave an example of what they did to fix it. Um, she does, she did have a cutting table with bookshelves from Target with a huge hollow cord door. And she says, I hated having the back open on half of the cubes. If you remember when I was talking about mine last week, the, the nine cube thingy from Target, you only put a back on five of the cubes and the other four are open. She didn't like having those open cubes. So she ended up nailing beadboard to the back of all of the bookshelves. And that makes a lot of sense too. And then if you wanted to, you could also use the beadboard. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking pegboard. If you had pegboard, you could also then hang things from it. Um, she did beadboard and that would be pretty too. Right now it's not bothering me to have the open backs, but if I find myself where I keep shoving things into the center where I can't get at them, you know, <laughs> through the back. I may do that too, um, which is another reason why I should use 3M strips because then it would be easier to take the whole thing apart and collect everything I've shoved into the, <laughs> into the middle of the, of the cutting table. Um, Tanisha, I don't remember seeing what you did with yours. So if you listen to this episode and you want to say what you did about your open cubes, if you just left them open or not, like I said, right now mine are open. Um, thank you, Aaron. I appreciate yours. Jackie left a comment on that same episode, and she answered a couple of people's questions, uh, one of which was mine. I was talking about my Bonash cover and whether anybody else had them to the ironing board. She said she initially loved it, but discovered it scorched her items and was too hot, so she ended up covering hers with muslin. So that's two of us who started out using one of those Bonash covers and got rid of it. You know, I wonder what the the possibility is. My mom had one on her ironing board for many years, and loved hers, but it wasn't a bone ash. It was an actual ironing board cover because I remember the drawstrings on the bottom of it. And I wonder if there was at one time in the history of quilting a different style <laughs> of that thing that worked better. Um, but I'm done. I've, I've covered mine over and I'm much happier now, so I'm not using it. So those of you who are thinking about those bone ash covers, be careful. We've now had a couple of us that we're not too keen on it. Um, Jackie also said light bulbs. She recently did some research for photography. She says, I'm barely a beginner, but I know I needed more lightning, uh, lightning, <laughs> lighting. I came across this website, hollynot.com, holly, H-O-L-L-Y, not K-N-O-T-T.com, all one word. And she gives a link to, they recommended a particular light bulb. Um, so for those of you listening to this uh, go to episode 143, look for Jackie's comment, and you will see the links to the recommended light bulbs. And Jackie says uh, she ordered them. They just came in. Her husband set up her light poles, which she loves. He also set up a string of lamps over her long arm using those same bulbs, and she's thrilled. But she says they are new to her. It was just when she, when she left the comment, they'd only been in for one day. She said the lighting seems clear, clean, and not harsh, but that means she doesn't really know how long they're going to last. Um, 
Boliz, thank you. And Boliz, thank you also for giving the pronunciation of your screen name right in your screen name. Uh, and she also talks about the same Joanne's table, um, cutting table. And she said, when hers became uneven at the joints on the top, her husband put a long piano hinge on that droopy side, and it's once again completely level on top. The other drop-down side is even so far, but we know Home Depot has plenty of the piano hinges if it does start drooping. And she also has the large white rotary mat, Joanne's on top of it, even if it's a shade larger than the table. She says someone should figure out those two items should be the same size. Um, so for those of you who have the Joanne's table and you're starting to get that same problem with the joints becoming uneven at the top, try a piano hinge. Thank you, Bo Liz. Jill commented, um, she's been listening. She's not a new listener, but she only comments rarely because she listens while at work. I guess I can forgive you for that. Um, she had to laugh when I talked about my daughter taking my car to college with her. Um, as it turned out, was not a bad thing since I was sick at home anyway. So if all in all the weeks for me to not have a car, that was the best week. Um, Jill says, mine left for Georgia in November for some military training, her daughter, and she said her Saturn just didn't seem able to make the distance, so I sent her with my trail trailblazer while I shopped for a new car. Then she flew home for Christmas break and took my husband's Tundra to the Adirondacks to visit friends. When we left to pick up my new car, we realized that she had two, count them, two of our best vehicles. Oh, what we do for love. <laughs> so thank you, Jill. I appreciated that. I am glad to announce I've got my own car back now. It is filthy dirty because my daughter's school is up in the North Country where... They had the record for New York State on the coldest temperature. They hit negative 40 where she goes to school. Um, and that means she's driving a lot of backcountry roads. It really is out in the middle of nowhere, that college. And um, so my car's filthy. I really need to take it through a, a car wash, but I'm just glad to have it back. And Jill says she will also be at the Lancaster show. So I'm hearing meet up. Jody, thank you um, for your comment as well. And she was very pleased to hear about the cozy calendar thing. She's a visual person and cozy calendar sounds like exactly what she looks for. And she says that's why she loves Pinterest so much. Her sister has begun calling her the Pinterest evangelist. Um, and she says she's not sure if she's come across me on Pinterest yet. I am on Pinterest, same screen name everywhere else, Sandy Quilts. And I've actually been active on Pinterest the last few weeks. I had kind of dropped off for a long time. Um, Bermuda Girl left a comment on my um, Craftsy Class Review blog post about artisan breads with Peter Reinhardt. And she talks about a bread box she just bought. And she, it's a cherry wood. It sounds gorgeous. You have to post a picture. Man, that sounds pretty. Um, and she talks about bread she's making, but she uh, has this bread box. And I had somebody else had asked me, I don't remember who, I'm sorry. Um, had asked me about the best way to store bread. Here's what I've learned. It's, there's really, okay. <laughs> if it's going to be more than a couple of days, stick it in the freezer. And I've read in a lot of places to slice. If you want to have slices, slice the loaves first, because once it's been frozen, it's pretty hard to, and I don't mean even once you thaw it, apparently it's hard to slice. So everybody that talks about freezing loaves of bread talks about slicing them first. And of course, make sure you've wrapped it really, really, really well so it doesn't get freezer burn. Um, and somebody asked me how my mom kept all of those 15 loaves of bread. Well, we would go through it pretty darn quick because <laughs> we were a huge family. Um, but she would also put it in the freezer. Do not put bread in the refrigerator. 
refrigerators make bread go soggy and particularly homemade bread they go it goes soggy and it also tends to pick up other flavors from the refrigerator so don't put it in the refrigerator if you're only trying to keep it fresh for a couple of days there's a couple of techniques various people have said you can wrap it in a lint-free towel i had mine when i was making baguettes i had them wrapped in i had a kitchen towel that was a lint-free a clean one obviously clean you don't want one that you've just washed your hands on um and a dry towel Mostly that really just protects it from dust. It doesn't really do much to keep it from getting stale. Face it, homemade bread doesn't have preservatives in it, so it's going to get stale. <laughs> so the, your idea is you want to eat it before it gets stale if you're not going to put it in the freezer. Um, Peter Reinhardt, I did ask him this cl question in the Craftsy class, and he said to wrap it in plastic wrap, but make sure it's thoroughly, completely, and totally cool first, because if you wrap it while it's still warm, it's going to build up moisture, and moisture is the bread's enemy. Bread boxes have also been very highly rated. And it's funny because I never thought about it, but my mom had one. We had a bread box growing up. Um, it doesn't, again, you know, your bread, your homemade bread is still going to get stale in two to three days. But it's, it's so it's more a matter of making loaves of the size that you think you're actually going to get through before it gets stale and then freezing everything else. Um but I have read a lot of really, really great reviews about bread boxes, and one of the other Craftsy class members, students, talked about having a bread box. So I might go in that direction, but for now I don't know how often I'm actually going to be making homemade bread to even know if that would be something I'd want to have sitting on my counter. Although I have read in a couple of places that there are bread boxes you can get that mount under your cabinets so it's not sitting on your counter and there's one that can mount on a wall and then kind of become a shelf as well so you can put stuff on top of it so there's some options there um, one article i read did test the the person writing the article did testing with bread boxes paper bags fabric and plastic um, bread boxes without wrapping the bread in the bread box so he he had tried even putting it in the bread box and wrapping it in all these things first versus just putting it in the bread box and he said just putting it in the bread box won the day that was his favorite method for keeping bread fresh the longest but still about three days is the most you're going to get out of most breads homemade that don't have preservatives in them um, so that's your tip if you're making homemade bread your main tip eat it fast <laughs> That's 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 the key. Um, thank you also to AJ Dub and Jennifer and Colleen, who talked about her mother storing eggshells in a large tin can in the oven. She's not sure why. I had a couple of great stories people left me about things that got stored in ovens. Um, and I have one congratulations I want to send out. Celia from Australia, who is a longtime listener of this podcast was published in Down Under Quilts, which is a quilting magazine from Australia. Not only was she published in it, her project was on the cover. So congratulations, Celia. Um, I loved reading your blog post and seeing the pictures of your project. Um, I d can't really find Down Under Quilts easily around here, but I might see if I can find it online. So again, congratulations to Celia. We can all say we knew you when. And in fact, I do have a gift here in my home that she made me early on in my podcast career. So congratulations, Celia. Um, you deserve to feel great about that. Thank you to everybody else who has left um, comments. I did not, I was not able to respond to everybody. But I'm already over an hour, which is far longer than I like to go. So um, next week, again, I'm going to be out of town, but I am going to be uh, 
having a podcast go live because once again I have another interview from Jay that I will be able to share with you next week even though I won't be around so start looking forward to that and meanwhile um, I've got some blog posts going on this week and hopefully I will be able to make some progress on other projects and put up even more blog posts otherwise I'll talk to you after I come back from slightly warmer and sunnier climbs in Savannah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and um, I look forward to hearing from you and getting your comments and your emails. You know how you can get a hold of me. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, Facebook, Flickr. Well, not Facebook, I'm sorry, but Flickr. And everywhere else I show up in social networking, I'm Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us uh, page on Facebook. You can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group. And, of course, you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team and do good in the U.S. and all over the world. And you can find links for all of those things at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Thanks.